Proctor here with two quick announcements before we get into this episode. First, I would like everyone to know about CodeMesh, a London-based conference dedicated to functional programming and alternative tech. It is going to run November 3rd through the 5th, and some of the speakers include guests of the show, including Reed Draper, Jessica Kerr, and Rick Meinrich. CodeMesh has graciously offered listeners of this podcast a 10% discount off the price of the conference if you use the discount code FNGeekery10 when you register. To find out more about CodeMesh and to register, visit CodeMesh.io. That's C-O-D-E-M-E-S-H dot I-O. Second, after the last episode, Martin J. Logan and the other Erlang Camp coordinators have set up an offer code for listeners of Functional Geekery. Just enter FNG15 when registering to get a 15% discount on standard admission, and it works for 15% off the dinner and drinks with the speaker option also. Head over to Erlangcamp, E-R-L-A-N-G-C-A-M-P dot com to register and take advantage of their offer. Welcome to the 14th episode of Functional Geekery. I'm your host, Proctor, and this week with us we have Rick Meinrich. Rick, would you mind telling everyone a little bit about yourself? Sure. Well, I'm probably best known for F-Sharp. I've been doing it for a lot of years, probably going on seven now, giving talks, running user groups. Where things stand are now is, you know, I run the uh, F-Sharp user group in New York City, and I help out with the Haskell one. I'm trying to get involved with other languages as well, because, you know, it's more about the static types than it is just about any single language, at least for me. As far as work goes, I work at a company called Bayard Rock. We do research and development towards anti-money laundering techniques, which is mostly about finding bad guys that already have accounts inside banks. And when I say bad guys, I don't mean like small time, you should worry about it if you didn't pay your taxes on time kind of bad guys. I mean, like drug lords and terrorists. So it's, it's actually a pretty rewarding job in that way feeling like you're doing something good. So you've been doing F-Sharp for about seven years. How did you kind of get up into it? Like what attracted you to F-Sharp and how did you kind of get your first exposure around F-Sharp? Well, I used to be a pretty well-known C-Sharp blogger long ago. And, you know, I'd see F-Sharp posts here and there, moderately interested, you know, I'd read them. And then I had, it was in Western Massachusetts at the time. We didn't have a whole lot going on out there pretty rural. But Rich Hickey actually came up because he was the former professor of someone that worked at my company. And he gave us this three hour long talk on closure and software transactional memory. And I had been working on some really hard problems related to parallelizing algorithms. And it kind of just blew my mind how much easier everything was in closure. Now I was uh, at a .NET shop, so it wasn't really possible for me to be using closure or anything like it. But I remembered F sharp. And so I decided to copy Rich's idea in his talk. He had an ant colony simulation. And so I made a F-sharp ant colony simulation where you could swap out the memory models. Because it was all pure functional, it was really easy to change how things were sort of aggregated at the end. Because it was like, instead of each ant actually mutating the state of the world, it would return its actions. And then I had a chance to sort of pick how the state of the world would change. And it worked out really nicely. And it was pretty. And that really set me on the road. It took about a week. I mean, at first, you know, I struggled a little bit because I didn't know F-sharp. But by the end of the week, and working on it every day a little bit after work, I was totally cruising. It was great. And sort of fell in love at that point and never really looked back. <laughs> so I guess let's cover F-sharp a little bit for those who aren't familiar with it. As you said, it's a language that's for the .NET runtime. And my understanding is, as opposed to Scala, which is an object, more object-oriented language, with lots of functional tendencies that runs on the JVM, F-sharp's kind of a counterpoint to that, which is mostly a functional language, which has some object-oriented tendencies for interop with working on the other .NET languages. Would you say that's a fair statement? There's definitely more of a uh, split between the object-oriented features and the functional programming features in F-sharp. In Scala, everything is sort of part of the same... You build the functional stuff in the object-oriented world. F-sharp is more of like a direct port of OCaml and then having the everything sort of tweaked so that it fits nicely in the .NET runtime and, and plays nicely with C-sharp and, and all of that stuff, which is actually extremely important and why I'm able to use it at work, right? We have a lot of C-sharp devs and because it interrupts pretty darn cleanly with C-sharp, there's no problems there. But yeah, 
you can extend all of the functional constructs with the object-oriented constructs in a way that is, it's not limiting to have this split there, but it's not nearly as tightly integrated, the ideas, as with Scala. Yeah, that's what I heard, is it's it's a functional language, first and foremost. It's a ML background. I knew it was an ML background. I wasn't sure which MLs, but it's a, sounds like it. you said it was the OCaml ML? Yeah, and it's changed a lot from OCaml, too. Even the syntax has changed a bit because they sort of invented this light mode while they were in research, which is a lighter syntax mode where indentation matters, sort of like Haskell. And then they made that the default right before release because it is a lot nicer. So it has diverged from OCaml quite a bit in its own right, but it is the sort of parent language. Yeah, I've heard it compared to the ML languages in Haskell quite a bit. And the Haskell part doesn't seem surprising at all since the creators are right at, are back in Microsoft Research Cambridge, from my understanding, a couple doors down from Simon Payton Jones, who's one of the co-creators of Haskell. Yeah, Don Syme, like his office is uh, like right down the hall. It's kind of funny. So you, we kind of mentioned F-sharp as what it is, but... If we go back to the early days of F-Sharp, from what I remember, because I was in the .NET runtime at that time as well, the tooling seemed lacking, and it seemed like it was fairly tough to get going. But I've also heard today that it's pretty much a close first-class citizen in the runtime. Have you noticed that? Things certainly have changed. I still don't think they were bad back then. I made the switch and really found F-Sharp to be a lot more pleasant. I was never a resharper fan or anything like that. I've always been in the sort of philosophy that less code is more <laughs> in a lot of cases. And, and all this like automatic code gen in the IDE sort of encourages you to make a big mess that it's going to be a pain later because now you have to change all this stuff. When you might have used a function otherwise, but because of the code gen automatically makes some other path easier, you end up with like twice as much code automatically. And I still believe that the big benefit of F-sharp over C-sharp is the long-term maintenance cycle where the types actually can help you reduce the maintenance costs and reduce the frequency of bugs in maintenance. And it, it also makes development somewhat faster because you have to write less code. But it's arguable that with something like ReSharper, you can get things built just as fast. It's a lot of that, like having the pieces fit very tightly and so that when one changes, it automatically shows you where it breaks elsewhere. That's a big deal. Yeah, because I remember even just Visual Studio alone, it was kind of had to go get special plugins, and depending on the versions of Visual Studio, you may or may not have been able to get it in as easily. That was always for the free version. So, yeah, the F-Sharp tools, in order to... They had a hard time syncing up with the Visual Studio development cycle, and so they had did sideband releases, and that meant that the, the free versions of Visual Studio, like the web one and, and whatever else, you had to download the tools for F-Sharp separately. Now, if you bought Visual Studio or you have it at work, it probably has F-sharp in it just built in. There's no need for sideband releases like that, but they tend to release the express editions ahead of time and get those ready first, and so F-sharp wasn't able to integrate properly. Yeah, and that was four or five years ago at this point now, when I remember look, first looking at it, but I've heard it's come a long way in just that relatively short time. Oh, certainly. A big cause of that, actually, in the last year has been the open sourcing of F-sharp and now the open sourcing of all of the F-Sharp Visual Studio tools. And now we have F-Sharp programmers working at Xamarin as well. And the whole community is kind of coming together to build better tooling. So things are growing really fast right now in terms of tooling. It's pretty magical, uh, actually. <laughs> I'm really happy about that. But for a long time, it was sort of like Microsoft had this six-person F-Sharp team, and the F-Sharp team kept on having its people stolen by the other teams in Microsoft. <laughs> Maybe stolen is a harsh word, but if you want to get ahead at Microsoft, you want to be in a high-visibility project. And so the really ambitious people would go elsewhere because they wanted to have that chance. And then the, the other people would get kind of picked off one by one. In fact, you know, as of a year ago, there was only one person still on the F-Sharp team from the original release group, Brian McKenna, I guess. So there was a big problem, essentially, with all these people coming on board, the F-Sharp team, having no background with this type of language and... It really slowed things down in terms of how the whole thing could develop. And so now that it's open source, and not just open source, but open source and taking patches from the community, which is a big deal. F-Sharp has been open source for a long time, but they were not taking patches. So things are accelerating very quickly. What are some of the things you think that have helped that acceleration and picking it up? Because the reason I ask is, 
I remember hearing about F-Sharp around the time of things like Iron Ruby and some of these others and Iron Python, when it's like, yeah, we're going to have these, and then all of a sudden you hear the Iron Ruby and Iron Python are kind of faltering, and F-Sharp managed to stay around. What have you found that kind of helped kick in acceptance of F-Sharp from what you've seen as part of the F-Sharp community? Well, there's two sides of the coin, right? There's F-Sharp inside Microsoft, which is its own little universe. If you're part of the community, you know, like, inside Microsoft is like an altered uh, reality distortion zone. (laughs) And then there's outside of Microsoft and, you know, adoption and everything out there. Now, on the inside of Microsoft, it's been very helpful that there's been some really awesome projects inside Microsoft that used F-Sharp and the people that used it really found that it helped, like the Bing advertising system. Early on, one of the earliest projects was the ranking system for Halo. They use a a special machine learning algorithm to determine who you should play against. It's really fancy, and it's awesome, and it was all done with F-Sharp. So there was this sort of initial push for F-Sharp for technical computing. I don't know if you remember that, but that was the Microsoft message. And it sort of fell apart because Microsoft, like, uh, they did not stick to their guns or anything. And they there was always a split between, like, Show and Iron Python or F-Sharp. or There was no clear messaging on that stuff. But anyway, inside Microsoft, they ended up using it for a lot of projects. And a lot of people ended up liking it. And so it stuck around there. And then outside, a lot of fairly wealthy companies that do finance picked up F-Sharp. And that's even continued to grow today. And that was sort of one of those things, you know, when Microsoft has a wealthy customer or three or five, they tend to bend over backwards for them. In fact, there's special custom versions of Windows out there that I've heard about and have to support uh, that only uh, one company uses, you know. It's kind of amazing. But yeah, we've, we've had the benefit of having some large projects and important things happen that really made it so Microsoft had it's like a, an incentive to keep F-Sharp around. There was a lot of worry when, around the initial open sourcing of F-Sharp that it would go the same route. And in fact, I think part of the reason for the initial open sourcing was so there'd be a backdoor just in case so that development could continue if Microsoft abandoned the project. But they didn't, and they stuck with it. And it's actually keeps it's growing every year, I'd say exponentially, maybe not with a giant exponent, but there's a lot of F-Sharp users now compared to back then when I was like the only one I knew. <laughs> uh. Yeah, it's one of those things. It seemed like it was always on the brink of going the way of Iron Ruby, Iron Python, where, yeah, it's still supported, but not supported by Microsoft. The community has to support it and everything like that. And what sounded like one of the big things that helped turn that view around was when they introduced type providers and a bunch of those type provider libraries. Was that something that you saw that kind of helped pick up perspective in the actual user community of the F-Sharp outside of Microsoft? Well, it certainly is the most visually impressive thing, even for people using other languages. Like if you go and you show like a Node.js person or a Python person that does data science or an R person, the type provider stuff, a lot of times it blows their mind, the idea that you don't even have to have your database window open. You don't even know what the database looks like. It just all happens automatically, and you can just pull data in naively, and it works. And it works great for very many different data sources. It's pretty mind-blowing. Uh, no one else has anything quite like it. I know in the Scala community, they're trying to build something like it, but they keep on rewriting it. And in Haskell, it's not really like it would be that useful because they don't have something like the dot syntax. So the IntelliSense just wouldn't, I mean, half the, the point of the type providers is having that nice IntelliSense interaction directly with the data. So yeah, things are, are pretty cool. Like the, the type providers definitely are a pretty amazing thing, especially considering they can be language type providers. Like there's the R language type provider, which allows you to interact directly with the constructs in the R programming language, but from inside F-sharp and push data back and forth and get IntelliSense into R. It's pretty amazing. And it's only going to get better. The tools are getting more refined. We're figuring out how to, the right way to build things so the interfaces are correct. Considering it was only released a couple of years ago, things have moved a long way since then. It sounded like one of those attention grabber things that would cause a lot of the .NET people in general, who are mainly the VB or C Sharp, to essentially raise their head up and go, huh, what is this? Maybe it's time for me to check out F Sharp. Aside from just the functional things that it gets me in the way of being able to think functionally. You know, you'd think so, but it's actually, uh, it probably has garnered more interest from outside of Microsoft. Like inside of Microsoft, it's still not like one of the, Microsoft community has this disease where 
they, everyone is looking towards Microsoft, the company, for what to do next. And so, you know, everyone's betting on the latest entity framework or various other tools that Microsoft blesses directly, like in their presentations at the big conferences they sponsor and such. And F-Sharp really hasn't had that position. People are finding out about it through other means, definitely, sort of an alt.net kind of way, but more modern. For example, the SQL story, you can still do the code gen with Entity Framework or whatever else. And then it's kind of similar in that you get similar features, but you end up with this giant amount of code that is just sort of sitting there becoming stale and hopefully no one's modifying. Also, the uh, the bigger benefit of the type providers, which I, I haven't mentioned, is it supports both type generation, like straight up anti-reflection, I like to call it, <laughs> where you're emitting types. And it also supports something called type erasure. So you can emit fake types that the IDE thinks are types, but the compiler will make all go away at compile time, which is super nice because like, for example, let's say that you have a giant SQL database. Now it's known that NCD framework can have problems with these giant databases because you have to generate types for everything and then also for potential joins and other things on these giant databases. But if you have type erasure, you can just make that all go away at compile time. And so you don't actually need to realize the types and it keeps everything nice and small and fast. And it's pretty wonderful. And so there's like there's actually like five different SQL type providers now, depending on your needs, which, which is definitely a blessing because each one has their own sort of thing they excel at. Like if you want to write direct SQL inside your code without using link, there's a type provider for that. And if you want to have like erase types from a large database, there's another type provider for that. And there's also a type provider that does the standard entity framework thing, depending on your needs. Okay. That's one of the big things I hear is the type provider, but... It's also interesting of the functional language side, which is worth using just because you get all the functional features from a functional language. And being able to run that in the .NET runtime, that's a well-supported language. Oh, I agree. Like I've uh, So the biggest project at our work, I've been working on for a little over three years, made our company quite a lot of money, and it's pretty wonderful. Like I made it in F Sharp initially with a C Sharp user interface because there was just, there was no F Sharp tools at the time. Things have gotten a little better, but also I, I was just a one man band when I first made it, and I knew WinForms in and out, and so I just like screw it, I'm going to do the drag and drop WinForms thing on top. It's grown a lot since then, but the lack of bugs over the last three years of maintenance, and we've gone through about 15 different major versions since then. We have rapidly iterated on this. There have only been like one or two cases of bugs, and they're usually one of them was in the UI, and one was just unclear logic, like miscommunication bugs. But we've had no bugs that were just from absent-mindedness. Part of it is you can't just expect F-sharp to do this magically. You have to know how to use the language to be able to find problems before they happen, essentially encoding things in types in a fancy way so that when something changes elsewhere, it'll break in the places that, that are important. But when you do this, you like <laughs> I contrast it with my last job, which was all C-sharp, and it was a giant code base. And we were constantly having weird problems, especially like weird problems with virtual inheritance and different assemblies being there or not, or different versions of .NET acting subtly different, or like lots of null reference exceptions when you least expect it because of the, the pattern where you say, this is one of the biggest problems in C-sharp because you can't nest logic inside of a definition of a variable, right? You say like, blah, blah, blah equals null. And then you have a bunch of if logic complicated if logic, you know, I know you've seen this, where like you assign some value to it. And at the end, you either do something with it, or you return it, right? And the problem with this is as that if logic changes, there's nothing that stops it from breaking. There's nothing that stops that stops someone from messing up that if logic, and then having that variable be in a bad state or be null. And in F sharp, that never happens, because you, you don't actually ever need that pattern. The syntax is so much more flexible. It's amazing. The flexibility of the syntax is really where all the safety comes from. Because it's expressions, it's not statements. So like you can always nest things inside of other things. You can put a function inside of a function inside of a function, you know? Yeah. So that's another good rundown of other features on it, because I was going to go into and ask you about some of the typing of F-sharp, which sounds like you started touching on, is the power of the typing there as well, of being able to have nicer, stronger types than C-sharp or VB.net, but still be able to maintain the expressiveness without having to have a lot of boilerplate around it as well, as my understanding. 
there's a lot with the type inference as well, in addition to the strong typing, correct? Oh, yeah, the type inference helps out immensely. So there's two other aspects that I hadn't mentioned yet that I think really help with F-sharp. One, actually, a lot of uh, C-sharp developers hate at first, which is the fact that inside of a project, you can only access things that come before you. Because F-sharp is single pass, it doesn't let you put things wherever you want. It maintains a strict ordering inside your project, which is very frustrating at first to some people. But in the end, it leads to very low dependency code, where, like, if you are looking at a piece of code, it's likely that the the parts it accesses are nearby, maybe even on the same screen, usually on the same screen, and that you can always look upwards and find what you need. You know, there are lots of tools in C-sharp that allow you to find things, like right-click, go to definition, but it's a lot harder when you have stacks of abstract classes and such, or you have inheritance, essentially, and then it's really hard to find what exactly code is executing. I've been through that. Where like you're essentially walking through the code and it takes you to one class and takes you to another class and takes you to another class and takes you to another class. In F sharp, that all happens within the same screen usually. Or maybe two screens. But it's not like you're jumping all over the code base like you were before. It makes it way easier to reason about because you can just see it. And the other thing is without all those types. Now, you know, seven years ago I would argued against this, because I was actually one of the developers that argued against var. I was like, no, we shouldn't use var and C sharp, right? Which I'm so embarrassed about now. But my reasoning was that if you can't see the types, how do you know what they are? It just it becomes really obvious, and you always annotate the top. If you're a good F-sharp developer, you always annotate your top IDE so it remains stable and doesn't break. You know, you don't want a changing API, essentially. That's, a, that's bad practice. And even in Haskell, they do this. All the top-level APIs tend to be annotated with the types, which is a good thing. And so you don't really lose that expressiveness. And if you ever have a question about what it is, because you're in this nice IDE, you just put your mouse over the type, and it just tells you. So <laughs> if there is a question, you can just look, and it's not so bad. The other thing was, so there's the dependency ordering, which is really nice. And oh, yeah, there's also a blog post out there. I forget who wrote it, but uh, if you look at C-sharp versus F-sharp dependencies per project, you can see like how F-sharp is being very low dependency code. And that means that when something changes elsewhere, it's much less likely to break where you are. It's a matter of fact from the fact that it's linear like that. And it also is just very composable in a certain way. You just don't need to have put stuff in other places. The other aspect is really more like about the fancy functional constructs that you have. One thing that I saw recently from a, a developer who had been doing C-sharp for years and is actually an amazing developer, but he had this like really messy code where there were multiple classes involved. And it was hard to reason about because he had all these factories as part of this one class that you would pass the settings to, and then the settings it had like methods for the factory return values, like the sub thing that the all these components in the application needed. Instead, it was able to transform it into a map from settings to the values and just keep it in line. And it was way less code. And then you just do one lookup instead of in in that thing. He had a whole bunch of dictionaries for lookups, and it, so it ended up being way faster, more readable. And it actually looked like the code before we made this change where we needed to segment out all these things by settings. So being able to leverage higher order functions, like, and actually, this is the thing you almost never see people do in C Sharp, put your functions in a data structure, and then call them after lookup. Things as simple as that, they tend to just zap your code down to nothing in a lot of ways. Things where you would actually otherwise think you need all, like, all of these fancy constructs like factories, eh, you just need a data structure. So assuming that you sold everybody who may be interested in functional programming but are working in the .NET environment and haven't yet touched F-sharp. Like, what are some of the good problem areas or domains that are the good places to try and tackle and pull off and try and, and make the case for F-sharp for a small little DLL to be pulled in that where that DLL was done in F-sharp versus the standard C-sharp or VB.NET? Okay, first I do want to say that I think that pretty much all problems are better solved with F-sharp, except for ones that you want to drag and drop your GUI. And then it's better to have a lightweight C-sharp front end and then complex C-sharp back end. But even with most large projects, you know that with WPF or whatever else, you don't end up using the drag and drop GUI if it's a big project. But for like places to start or places that are good to convince, if you have some little like complicated domain logic is really awesome in F-sharp because of the pattern matching, you can make your domain logic look like the domain logic and not like a bunch of if statements with some really complicated guts that are hard to figure out. F-sharp is really amicable to those sorts of little DSLs. 
Another place is tests. Like if you're having trouble because your company is worried about shipping F-sharp code, well, F-sharp is really great for testing C-sharp code and has a lot of little features that actually are really great. One of them is just the fact that you can have, so in F-sharp, you can do these thing called double backticks, you know, your tilde key. You do double backtick, and then you put, you can have spaces or whatever symbols you want in the name of your identifier. So you can say, like, if you wanted to find a function for testing, you can say, let double backtick manager factory should return something with these properties, double backtick, and then parentheses equals. And then you put your little uh, tag on it, like, if you're using X unit, it's fact, or I think it's test in N unit. And then inside there, you put it. But then when the test fails in Visual Studio, you get a sentence instead of this crazy camel case you have to decipher. <laughs> it still integrates with all the tools in Visual Studio really nicely. You just can double click on things still. And also you end up with this very succinct test code that's easy to understand. And there's even some nice testing DSLs like FS test out there that make for sort of literate testing where like the tests actually read like English. I'm not that big of a fan of literate testing or whatever, because I feel like it's verbose for no reason. And, but I guess if your tests actually represent things that you want domain experts to be able to understand, and not just coders, then I guess in that case, it's definitely a, a valuable tool. So those are the two cases, like some algorithmic thing, because it really reduces it and you can make it look a lot like whatever algorithm from whatever book. That's a lot cleaner than C-sharp that way. Or testing are really great little cracks to, to push through. But in general, I still think F-sharp is better for solving almost all the problems. And the best way to learn a language is to go home and come up with some little toy project and just make it and suffer through like the little changes from what your brain is used to. And then, I mean, like I said, it took me, I'm not a genius. I'm a pretty smart guy, but I'm not a genius. And it took me about a week of playing around every day after work. So it's not like it's a big jump. One other thing really quick is it seems to me like Microsoft and there's been like a, almost a conspiracy. I'm sure it's like an unconscious conspiracy to make F-sharp seem complicated. Like if you ever watch the Channel 9 videos, they'll have like the F-sharp book on the desk to like, sim like it has a symbol of being very smart or something. But F-sharp is actually a lot easier than C-sharp in a lot of ways once you get used to it because you have to worry about so much less stuff. That is kind of part of the language. Once you get used to the language, I feel like I have to think less hard about the code and I can spend more time thinking about what I'm trying to do with the code. I feel like that's a really important point that that's missed a lot. There's a really great presentation by Rich Hickey. I, I love Rich Hickey to death. Like in his, his talk, it's like simple made easy. And he talks about the difference between simple and easy. And easy means you already know the thing. And so it's easy, but simple means it's like intrinsically that way. Like it's the thing itself is just not very complicated. And I feel like F-sharp code ends up more on the simple side. Yeah, it seems like the biggest issue with any of these languages is more about unlearning your previous learnings than learning the new language, after, you, especially after you've learned a few others. It seems like a lot of the functional language issues, it's more about the idioms and making sure you're following the right idioms and breaking the habit. Is that something you'd say is pretty much summary with F-sharp as well? I wouldn't put it like, say, as a problem, or it's about, there's an aspect of habits to it. Like, when you're first sitting there with F-sharp, if you've never done any functional programming before, you're probably going to be like, how the hell am I going to do this, right? I was lucky in that I had some experience with uh, TCL before, and I did a bunch of C. And so, like, I had a basic idea of how to write things without classes. I guess if you've come through university and you've only ever done Java, then it's going to be kind of a jump. I mean, it's worth a jump worth making. I kind of pity the person that hasn't looked beyond just Java ever. At least in C Sharp, if you're the kind of person that uses Link on a regular basis, and you find that you're using Lambdas to do things like define a Lambda inside of a method, because it reduces a lot of that method code, because you can call it in a bunch of places, and all you need to do is close over some variables, which I used to do before I learned F Sharp then I think it's a pretty easy dive because you already have a lot of the constructs. You just have to use them slightly differently because you don't need to actually have that class there anymore at all. Not to say that you can't. I mean, in F-sharp, you can just make the class and do all the stuff that way. But I feel like the code gets even simpler once you move past the classes in a lot of cases. Yeah, and I think part of that, what I was getting at is more, from my understanding, the language itself is a fairly simple language. And some of the jump may be more about not thinking in the C-sharp or VB ways if you haven't taken advantage of a lot of the link stuff when you're trying to learn that versus learning and understanding the language itself. The base language is pretty simple. It does have some constructs that are sort of for the advanced library builders, but I, for one, actually really like a language that has some depth to it. Like, it's really simple on the surface, but then there's some things that you can run with 
because one of the problems I had with C-sharp is after three years of using it every day out of college, I already knew everything about it. I could write and read IL, and I had built all this stuff, and I was like so bored with the language. And I felt like I had all these pain points, and there was nothing I could do to fix them. F-sharp has some really deep constructs in it that doesn't demand any beginner or any even an intermediate user know how to use, like computation expressions or writing your own type providers. But once you learn these, it actually gives you tools to solve even harder problems. I'm not really going to get into that in too much depth, but essentially, with the computation expressions, you can do these syntax transformations inside of some scope defined by a name. And it really lets you, it lets you remove warts in a beautiful way. It's a great thing to have around, and there's nothing even remotely like it for C-sharp. <laughs> but you don't need to know how to do that. You don't. I think it's important people know it's there, and there's a lot to attain in F-sharp if you want to be like an expert and know how it all works. It's still extremely useful, even if you're not an expert. Okay, that sounds really good. I'd love it to death. I mean, you know. <laughs> I can tell from the way you were talking about it and the excitement in your voice. So the other thing I've kind of got a curiousness about is you mentioned dependencies in F-sharp and how they're much lower, but how is the dependency and interop story in F-sharp? Can you expand on that for some people who aren't familiar with it? And I'm thinking more about... When you're using things outside of the realm of type providers and you're trying to integrate with, say, a logging library or some of these other behaviors where you're going back to a C-sharp library or, I'm assuming because it's .NET Framework, you're pulling these packages down through NuGet and having to interop with them. Yeah. Because it could be written in C-sharp or it could be written in F-sharp, but it's still another, that logging library or whatever is still an outside piece that you need to interop with. So there's full back and forth compatibility between C-sharp, F-sharp, and Visual Basic. There's no, uh, you could even call F-sharp core from C-sharp, which I do on a fairly regular basis. So like you can use like the functions that are in F-sharp core and call them from C-sharp. It works fine. The only downside is that sometimes the types are kind of verbose in C-sharp. So in C-sharp often demands that you write down the types. So it can get a little bit painful if someone's using very fancy F-sharp constructs, if you're calling those directly from C-sharp. So what I usually do is I put a simpler C-sharp API over my fancy F-sharp logic, and I have the users call that if they're using C-sharp. It makes things very nice. But in reality, in general, it's not a problem. It's really, really simple to interrupt. It's as if it was just a normal library. And there's also some attributes you can use in F-sharp that smooth over some rough edges. For example, one of the early things that was often pain point was the fact that F-sharp records are immutable. And so the only way to make one is feed all of the constructor values. F-sharp has some fancy update syntax built into the language so that you can update a record and say, like, I want this record with these fields changed. And it's really nice syntax to have, but you don't have that in C-sharp. And so it was a pain to use these records. So now we have the CLI immutable tag. It's just an attribute. You put it on the record. And that says that if you're in C-sharp code, you can actually mutate this thing. But if you're in F-sharp code, you can't. And it's kind of a compromise, so we can use some of the, the serialization libraries and stuff without too much pain. It's not perfect, but it's definitely better than not having it. There's also like tags in F-sharp so that because the naming schemes in F-sharp, the way people name things idiomatically is slightly different than C-sharp. Like when you make a function, you usually start it with a lowercase letter. There's an attribute for having that look different in C-sharp and having a different name. But in general, it's completely interrupts. So like another case is, for example, like F-sharp functions are curried, which means that you can pass arguments in one at a time. And then when you pass the last one, it gets evaluated. But like if you have a function that takes like an int and then a float, you can just put the int in, pass an int, and then what it returns is another function that just needs that float before it evaluates. This is a hugely powerful tool. It's really hard to describe. One example might be, here's one way I've used it in the past. I've got a bunch of functions. They all look the same, but they need a different part of my settings file to operate. So what I'll do is I'll make a list comprehension, which essentially is a way of defining a list of things in place without having to like build it with add or whatever. And then in that list comprehension, I'll call each function with the part that it needs, which is just the settings. And now I've got a list of functions that are all shaped the same. So it's all strongly typed. And I can just call them with the parts. I can map through it, or it's essentially like iterating through it and building another list with the results, but much simpler. <laughs> and so like you can actually use these high order functions with partial application in this way to like really make things easier in some cases. But when you call those from C-sharp, they just look like as if they just take the arguments normally. You don't need to like do something fancy to curry the arguments. So the interop story is quite good. 
those are a couple of the things I had heard about was not the currying specifically, but I wasn't sure how much of that interop with function calls and the way that F-sharp treats functions and applications of functions differently than C-sharp library, but it sounds like F-sharp will actually handle that translation for you when you're in F-sharp, consuming the C-sharp side then. Yeah, I mean, there is one difference, and that's because F-sharp uses a different underlying, like, you know, in C-sharp, you've got your action of T and your funk of blah, blah, blah. F-sharp uses different function constructs underneath for various reasons. They're more lightweight, and so they're faster because we use them a lot, and so it would slow down our code to use the C-sharp versions. But also, we have something called unit, which is a different than void. Void is zero, unit is one. It's, it's the, kind of the way it works. Unit is a construct that can only have or take on one value. The benefit of unit over void is you can have a generic, and you can always put the unit in there, and instead of having to have separate generics for like action versus function or func, right? And it actually comes up in a lot of places, and it's quite useful. I'm not going to go into it in too much detail. But that means that when you get one of these F-sharp functions in C-sharp, you do have to call dot invoke on it with the arguments instead of just calling it like a normal function. But that's like just a minor, minor thing. It doesn't actually change how you use it at all. It's just a little bit of extra. It's like, you know, five extra characters, right? <laughs> you mentioned the immutable, or the, I guess the, is it the mutable attribute on top of the immutable structure? Yeah, CLI mutable. How does that interrupt back and forth? How have you found that when you're going to immutable in F-sharp and then having to interrupt with the C-sharp stuff and pass things around and then come back and forth between F-sharp where you're kind of having to hop back and forth between that line between working on immutable objects and then going out and then having those possibly be mutable as well and getting those values back? Well, as long as, so like you have to do a little due diligence before you use this tag, right? Because you don't want be using this in any case where the library using holds on to the thing and then changes it randomly at some point in time based on events or something. That would just be a giant mess. But for the vast majority of cases, what you have is some serialization library or deserialization library that takes some shape and fills it for you, right? And it's really nice to have those work nicely in F-sharp, and they don't hold on to it afterwards. They're just spitting it out, and they happen to be more efficient when they can just mutate the fields as opposed to having to construct them from scratch every time. And so just that's when you use it. You don't really use it as part of your standard interrupt story with C-sharp. It's more there for when you have those pre-existing libraries, because there's better ways to do it already. If you know it's F-sharp record, there's special F-sharp record handlers for reflection that make it really easy to make new ones and fast. But in general, you just want it to work, right? And in some cases, you have like you have a bunch of emails to parse for or something like that. And you just, there's an email parser, and you just want it to work. And you want the same nice syntax in F-sharp with those records, and you, you don't want to make a class and then have to define your equality and, and your ordering and whatever else and your get hash code. And so it's really nice to just have the records work because records give you so much for free on top of immutability. Okay. So I guess the second part of that original question about dependencies and interop is back to the dependency side of how have you noticed the dependencies that you need to pull in from the F-sharp side. Have you noticed you could find a lot of libraries out there and utilities out there that are actually in F-sharp with a nice F-sharp API already wrapped for you, even if they may have been developed in C-sharp? Or have you noticed there's a lot of F-sharp libraries floating around that are F-sharp proper? Or are you coming back and having to deal a lot with the interop stuff? And because most of the things that you may need to be depending on via like NuGet, are coming back and done in a very C-sharp style? It totally depends. Um, mostly there's, for most of the normal things that you would do, there's an F-sharp version or there's an F-sharp wrapper for the existing thing. Like one example of a library I use a lot is math.net. And math.net has a nice F-sharp wrapper that makes it really, really nice to use from F-sharp. So the library users who care, essentially, are the ones that get poked a lot. So, you know, if people in the F-Sharp community are using something, someone's bound to write a wrapper because the wrapper is so easy to make. It's an easy, small thing to do that makes everyone's lives easier. So it, it gets done. There are occasionally some libraries that don't, but, you know, in the worst case scenario, it's the same as using it in C-Sharp. So <laughs> it's not that big of a deal, right? You just have to make sure that you're doing your null checking and all that stuff that you would normally take for granted in F-Sharp, you have to do just to make sure because you're using this dirty thing kind of from the C-Sharp world that 
maybe it doesn't have the same hygienics in terms of nulls and states. So when I say dirty, I just mean you can't trust it to always be like a pure function. That's all. So in general, it's not a problem ever. Like I've never been in a case where I was like, oh, I wish I could use that C-sharp library, but it doesn't work for F-sharp. That doesn't exist. F-sharp can work just like C-sharp in terms of calling anything. Yeah, I think it, I was getting more at just the growth of those wrapper libraries or libraries meant for being consumed from F-sharp, more from a perspective of health and vibrance and growth and popularity from the F-sharp community coming around versus still being, it's like, well, nope, we're not seeing a lot of this. We're still having to go create a bunch of nice wrappers or handle, as you said, dirty behavior because these libraries haven't been wrapped yet because the F-sharp community is still niche or not kind of thing. Oh, definitely. Like, so in 2010, when F-sharp was initially released with Visual Studio 2010, it was pretty much a, you have to wrap it yourself all the time. And we didn't have CLI mutable then. So sometimes you were, had to resort to making a class or whatever, but things are matured quite a lot since then. The community has grown. There's probably like 10 F-sharp user groups in the United States now. There's one in Brazil and Australia and there's one in Paris and there's one in London. And so like, it's not like the community is small anymore, like it used to be. It's actually grown to the size where there's a lot of people actively using it and even more people who want to use it, but they're, they need to find a job where they can. So it's been kind of explosive growth. And now there are quite a lot of different libraries and wrappers already made for you. It's pretty rare to actually have to use the nuclear option, you know, <laughs> but there's always room for more. In fact, now I feel like the thing that the F-Sharp community is eyeing even more than the C-Sharp world is the Python world and the, the Java world and some of the libraries that they have. And so with our type providers, we hope to be able to access into those and maybe even write some wrappers around some of the same libraries. For example, I'm on the F-Sharp data science working group. F-Sharp.org is the site and they have like, there's all these working groups trying to improve the state of things in all different areas of F-Sharp programming. One of the big problems right now is there's a ton of great stuff in Python and there's no way to call it from F-Sharp. And we would like to have native wrappers around that. So that's more of the direction, at least, that I'm looking in, because I do a lot of data science stuff at work. I'm pretty happy with the state of things in the Microsoft's ecosystem world. That makes a good point, too, is with those type providers, that as long as you can get that Python or JVM instance running or your R instance running on those boxes or wherever, that you could just download from NuGet another small little DLL that's just the type provider for that then. Huh. Interesting to think about. That because of the type providers, you're not just necessarily limited to the interop with the .NET framework, but you really get any framework that's out there. That's the goal. I mean, we're not quite there yet. Right now, I've built a MATLAB type provider that works pretty well. The R type provider is probably the most robust out of all the language type providers. There's a preliminary Python one, but it's not really gone that far. And there's also a preliminary IKVM one for interop with Java. But, you know, those are hard things to write. Compared to a database type provider, a language type provider is extremely complicated in comparison. And so to get it right, it takes time. But things are moving in a positive direction, definitely. Yeah, I was thinking even at the simplest level of more of a type provider for just a basic wrapper of another library that's written in another language that you can just kind of go hit. Instead of having to wrap the full-on. It's actually often easier to wrap the full-on thing because otherwise you have to learn how to parse the library and you have to essentially rebuild some of the stuff they use to even be able to access that thing. So, like, that's not easy, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess I meant the library that's running on another app. Like, you've got an instance of Python running that you can then, in a sense, shell out to or issue a HTTP command or however you decide you need to integrate with the API given. The lucky thing is that a lot of these dynamic languages, they have C APIs. And so we can just p-invoke into the C APIs and use them that way. And it's not so bad, you know? Yeah, that's interesting to think about. That's something I'm going to have to pay attention to and keep on the radar, especially if I ever go back and working with the .NET framework in F-sharp, because if I go back to the .NET framework, I would try and make sure I'd get some F-sharp stuff. And that's interesting to think about, especially when it comes time to get down and use all that kind of stuff when you have interop between different systems you're needing. There's also, you should know, there's a big push in the F-sharp community right now to be more friendly to other platforms like macOS and Linux via Mono. And that means even submitting patches to Mono. So the goal would be essentially to make it so that you wouldn't have to be back in the Microsoft ecosystem to be using F-Sharp and be happy. We want people to be able to use F-Sharp everywhere and be happy. That's good to hear. 
it's definitely a big turnaround than some of the Microsoft of years ago. Yeah, the community is definitely kind of trying to separate itself from Microsoft to some degree. I mean, not fully, you know, like we want Microsoft support on the Microsoft side, and we want definitely want them to feel like it's worth investing in F-Sharp on that side and the Visual Studio tooling to be making that better. But on the other hand, we do want essentially a nice experience on all the platforms because we live in a multi-paradigm world now. It's not like you can just keep your head in the sand these days, and especially if you're doing data science stuff, and only do stuff on Windows. That's foolish because there's so many great tools out there that span so many different platforms and you want to be able to use all the tools, you know, whatever's the best tool for the job. But the goal is to make F-Sharp the best tool for the job when you have to use the best tool for the job. That is like second order tool. (laughs) That sounds good. That's a good rundown on F-Sharp for me and helps covers a lot of the gaps I haven't heard about. So real quick before we kind of start wrapping up. You also mentioned you're part of the Haskell user group and start playing with some other languages to keep learning and the exposure to them. Do you want to give a rundown of F-sharp compared to some of those languages at a, just a more of a high level of what you found? Sure. I mean, I'm not an expert, so I should say that to begin with, but I am definitely a curious person and I'm always poking around trying to see what the state of the art is and see what other people are doing. You don't want to keep your head in the sand just because you love the tools you have. So... One thing I'm really interested in is Haskell, and Haskell is probably the fanciest type system language around that you could actually build real software with right now. And it has sort of foundations of category theory built into the language. The people that use it, one of the things that attracted me to Haskell is the people that use it are insanely smart. So as they say, it's always bad when you're the smartest person in the room. And I can guarantee that if you're used to that, go to some Haskell events and you won't be the smartest person in the room, (laughs) or at least at some topics. There's a lot to be learned for that. And it's the kind of language that's worth playing with and maybe even learning just to expand your mind and what you think about programming because it's very, very different, but really amazing in in a lot of ways. And they are probably the language where you could get the closest to writing code that you can guarantee is correct just based on the types. Now, there's these even newer languages that have dependent types, like probably the best one to keep your eye on is Idris, Because the goal of Idris is to be a dependent type language that you can write real software in. It's only a couple years old, so it's not really fully there yet. But dependent types mean it's really a hard concept, but the values and types, there's no difference. The compiler knows about the contents of the types, and it can constrain them in special ways. And you can use proofs, essentially, to prove that things are equivalent. You can actually write your program while proving it's correct, like literally, in those kinds of languages. And they open up a lot of other doors, too. There's actually a, a cool type providers library for uh, Idris right now, which is neat. Although you only get half of the puzzle, you don't get the IDE support. But you do get the types that come out of the database are checked to make sure that they're the right things at compile time. So it's pretty neat stuff. As far as programming languages go, that's what I keep my eye on, definitely. Like Haskell community also has this great thing where they, they actually... <laughs> it's great for, in a lot of ways, but maybe not so great if you want to make sure your really old code works, but they're willing to break things in principled ways if it means that they can move the language forward. I don't know if you've heard about applicative being a superclass of Monad or anything like that, but they've actually managed to make that happen and only marginally break some things that were abusing the notation in bad ways, essentially. So I really like that about the community, too, is they're always looking forward and looking to make Haskell a better language and eventually even add dependent types like Idris. So, like, if there's one language, one community that you're likely to have near you that you should get involved with just because it'll make you smarter, Haskell is that community, definitely. Plus, a lot of Haskell people are into Idris, too, so <laughs> you get that kind of for free on the side. Sounds awesome. It is pretty awesome. I mean, I love living in New York City because there's so many user groups and so many interesting people to talk to. That is one of the benefits. I get to keep my pulse on all these things and maybe even learn some stuff. But I still haven't actually made the time to write a real program in Haskell something real and substantial, not just a little toy, you know? And I feel like until you do that, you can't actually claim to know a language. I can definitely see where that would be the tipping point. Yeah. Well, that's how I learned F-sharp, right? Like, I made real stuff, and now I, you learn all the ins and outs of everything, and you have ideas about better ways to do things, and just like kind of all comes together, as opposed to understanding it very superficially. So, since we're pretty much towards the end... Is there anything you want to plug? Do you have some appearances in the future at conferences, either presenting or just attending, that will be coming up that people could come up to you, meet you, 
say, hey, talk to you more about this if they're interested, or just recommendations in general you think people listening would appreciate? Sure. Coming up, I'm running the F-Sharp tutorials, and that's going to be on October 2nd and 3rd. That's in New York City, and we're going to have experts from all over the world come and teach you F-Sharp, or there's two tracks. There's the beginner track where we guarantee that you'll know F-Sharp when you leave, or at least know it well enough that you could go home and make something cool. They really push those two days to make sure you learn a lot, and we have a whole plan how to do that. We've had a lot of success in the past. We even got a guy from my company to come and attend, and then he, the, so he came for two days. He really didn't know any F-Sharp before this. He's a smart guy, but when he got back, he rewrote a bunch of old MATLAB code we had in uh, F-Sharp, and it worked wonderfully, and it was just really cool. And besides that, I'm going to be at Code Mesh in the UK. I don't have the dates for that off the top of my head, but that'll be fun. So if you're a UK listener, you know, hit me up there. Other than that, just keep an eye on the uh, Haskell and F-Sharp user groups. We do have all of our videos online on my Vimeo account, which my Vimeo name is also Rickosaurus. You can follow me on Twitter as that as well. That's where we keep the videos from the Haskell user group in New York City and the F-Sharp user group. So there's a ton of content there if you just want to watch some videos and, and see the cool things that people are doing in the community. I think it's about covers all of the things. I could plug my blog, but it's been kind of stale lately, although I'm planning on writing a post today actually after this call. So, <laughs> Is there any other place for people to track you down online that they want to keep up with you going? I don't know if you put anything out for what you're doing on GitHub or any other. Oh, yeah, I'm Rickosaurus on GitHub too, but um, most of the work that I've been doing lately is under our company, GitHub Bayard Rock. Probably the most influential thing that we're working on right now which is mostly my coworker, Peter Rasconi, not me, although I pointed him in that direction, is the IPython notebook for F-Sharp, which works really nicely. He's generalized it into a general IntelliSense package for the web, which is neat. And that's also where the MATLAB type provider is. And my own, I've got my own little dynamic language I made called Barb uh, in F-Sharp, which is some of the most complicated F-Sharp code I've ever written. If you want to get an idea of what really deep F-Sharp looks like, check out my Barb language thing. Uh, <laughs> And my blog is richardmeinrich.com, and there should be a post in the next couple of days on not related to functional programming. There's a lot of functional programming stuff on there already, but I just got this new Sony digital paper toy that I brought to Lambda Jam to test as a paper replacement for taking notes, and uh, I'll be talking about that. Sounds great. We'll make sure to put all those links to the show notes for everybody to follow you as well. Cool. Thank you so much. It's been fun. I'd like to give a giant thank you to David Belcher for the logo. And once again, I would like to thank Rick for giving us time to join me today. It was a pleasure talking to you, and you really filled in a lot of gaps about F-Sharp that I hadn't heard about. It was definitely a pleasure for me, too. Until next time, this has been Functional Geekery.